I'll never forget the church service my wife and I visited in Mansfield, Ohio. Guy was tooling around in a motorized wheelchair. He couldn't lift his hands. All he could do was move that one hand to move that little that little thing on that wheelchair to move his motorized wheelchair around. But while everybody else was sitting on their seats, he was running around that church in his wheelchair with that that one little hand part way up there as far as he could get it, worshiping the Lord and praying. And I thought, man, <laughs> I, I don't have any excuse if the guy like that, who he, I found out, I mean, he was an active member of the church, baptizing Jesus' name, filled with the Holy Ghost, but you can't always judge by what you see sometimes. <laughs> Amen. He was doing all he could. What excuse did I have for not lifting my hands? Well, I'm new here. I'm I'm a visitor here. Well, that's no excuse. Amen. So we are lively stones. Amen. We are not the frozen chosen. <laughs> right. I know it might be cold in here, but trust me when I tell you, we are not the frozen chosen. <laughs> I see everybody huddling their sweaters, and it's a little nippy for me in here, but it just is what it is. Amen. There's people in other countries that would just give anything to have one church service in a building like this and be all that oppressive heat they got to deal with, right? So we do have something to be thankful for. <laughs> Even if it's overworking sometimes, we got an air conditioner. Hallelujah. Amen. Amen. God is so good to us that he, he just gave us everything that we have, that we need. Amen. John chapter 3, verse 3 through 5. Talking about the waterway, going to end this thing today. But it's not the end of it. Don't, don't get confused now. This is not the end of the story. This is, this is not even the rest of the story, as Paul Harvey would say. This is, you know, I, I was thinking about it as I was studying this and, and, you know, thinking about ministering and everything. And it just seems like almost like Things get a little repetitive sometimes around here, you know. And why is that? Well, there could be a couple of reasons. It could be that maybe God thinks we haven't got it yet. So he keeps telling the men of God to keep saying it until somebody gets it. Maybe it's for one person. But, you know, if, if you read in the New Testament, all throughout the New Testament... Especially when Jesus was alive, he, he kept saying things over and over and over again like, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Repent for the kingdom is at hand. John the Baptist was saying it. Why was he repeating that? Because the kingdom of heaven was at hand. And it was very, in, it was in, without a doubt, it was the most important thing in the minds, in the lives of people that they repent. That's why he kept repeating that. So even though some of this stuff that we hear seems to be repetitive, and if you listen to the camp, watch the camp videos, and you'll find all of this stuff kind of threaded all through there. Why do we keep repeating it? It bears repeating. It's important. We can't just assume that the same old people are going to be in church, or there might be somebody listening on the web that's never heard this before. There might be somebody sitting outside the window there that's never heard this before that's ashamed to come in. That's happened before. Somebody got the Holy Ghost standing outside the building. They didn't feel like they were worthy to come in, so they stood outside and listened to the preacher. And so we, we never know who's listening. 
So it behooves us. This stuff, you know, it seems repetitive, but it's important. If Jesus, verily, verily, he kept saying stuff, verily, verily, I say unto thee. When he said that, it was like, this is worth repeating. So this is important. I don't want to emphasize that too much, but I, I can't emphasize it enough. We don't ever want to forget why we're here. Ask yourself sometime, why am I here? Why am I in this church? Why why am I in this truth? How did I get here? Not by yourself. Somebody had to preach. Somebody had to share this gospel. Somebody had to love you. And somebody had to give you a reason to be here. And it all started one day when a little baby was born in Bethlehem, right? It actually started before that. We talked about this Waterway started way, way, way back before there was ever a New Testament or or apostle named Paul or any of those other things. God had a plan from the very beginning to restore us to himself. Because he knew we were going to be sinful flesh. He knew that we were going to fall short of his glory. He didn't want to just leave us there. He wanted to make a way for us to get back. He didn't. He didn't have Noah just build that ark just so we would have something cool to talk about today. There was a purpose and a reason behind that ark. There, wasn't more, there was only one boat to get on when everything was being destroyed by water. And people had a choice. God gave them a choice. And they made their decision. And they lived and died with their decision. And I, I think it kind of bears it out in the Old Testament that once the doors were shut, there was all this kind of, hey, let us in. <laughs> Noah's like, I'm sorry, but I didn't shut the door. I can't open it. When once God shuts the door, once once he comes for the, the bride, once the, once you better have your lamp ready. Once he comes and, and leaves, it's too late. And so this is why it bears repeating. Praise God. Let's go to the book of Acts chapter 2. And we're going to go a little bit before that famous message on the day of Pentecost. We're going to Go back to where Peter's addressing the crowd. Starting in verse 14. The last thing Peter ever thought he'd ever be doing was preaching to a crowd. This gospel. And I'm sure when Peter got up that morning, when when it suddenly dawned on him that he was going to preach this, he wasn't thinking, oh my God, where's my iPad? Where's my notes? What am I going to say? He didn't think about that. Because there was a place in the Bible where Jesus said, when you get to that day and that hour, don't worry about what you're going to say. I'll give you what to say. And that's how the the disciples and the apostles in in the New Testament did it. They just said whatever Jesus was telling them to say, they just repeated it just like the prophets did. 
And so, but Peter, standing up with the eleven, lifted up his voice and said unto them, You men of Judea and all that dwell in Jerusalem, be this known unto you and hearken to my words. For these are not drunken as you suppose, being it, seeing it is but the third hour of the day. But this is that which was spoken of the prophet Joel. And it shall come to pass in the last days, saith God, I will pour out my spirit upon all flesh, and your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, and your young men shall see visions, and your old men shall dream dreams. And all my servants and all my handmaidens, while I pour out in those days of my spirit, and they shall prophesy. And I will show wonders in the heaven above, and signs in the earth beneath, and blood and fire and vapor of smoke. The sun shall be turned into darkness, and the moon into blood, before that great and notable day of the Lord come. And it shall come to pass, and whosoever shall call on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Ye men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man approved of God among you by many miracles and wonders and signs, which God did by him in the midst of you, as ye yourselves also know, him being delivered by the determinate counsel of foreknowledge of God, ye have taken and by wicked hands have crucified and slain. Whom God hath raised up, having loosed the pains of death, because it was not possible that he should be holden of it. For David speaketh concerning him, for I, I foresaw the Lord always before my face, for he is on my right hand, that I should not be moved. Therefore did my heart rejoice, and my tongue was glad. Moreover, also my flesh shall rest in hope. Because thou wilt not leave thy soul, my soul in hell, neither wilt thou suffer my, thine holy one to see corruption. Thou hast made known to me the ways of life. Thou shalt make me full of joy with, my, with thy countenance. Men and brethren, let me freely speak unto you the patriarch David that is dead, both dead and buried, and his sepulcher is with us unto this day. Therefore, being a prophet and knowing that God had sworn with an oath to him that of the fruit of his loins, according to the flesh, he would raise up Christ to sit on his throne. Here we are to that day. He's, he's laying it all out to him up to this point. He's like, he's telling the Jews, this is not just something that was just done yesterday. This wasn't done in a corner. This, you've known about this for a long time. It's been prophesied by David and others that, that here we are. To, someday became today. Right? He's seeing this before spake of the resurrection of Christ, that his soul was not left in hell, neither his flesh did see corruption. This Jesus hath God raised up, whereof we are all witnesses. Nobody was, nobody was getting out of this. They were all witnesses of this. He's building up to something. Isn't that what a, a apostolic message is supposed to do? It's supposed to draw your attention in. It's supposed to get you to to think about what the Bible says and what all this stuff is all about is supposed to bring you to a crescendo of a decision. Right? Therefore, being of the right hand of God exalted and having received of the Father the promise of the Holy Ghost, He has shed forth this which you see now see and hear. It's obvious. You can see it and you can hear it. For David is not ascended into heaven, but he saith saith himself, The Lord said unto my Lord, Sit thou at my right hand. Until I make thy, thy foes thy footstool. Therefore let all the house of Israel, all you Jews that are here today in Jerusalem, thousands and thousands and thousands of them, way more than 3,000, 
Know assuredly that God hath made this same Jesus whom you have crucified, both Lord and Christ. Now when they heard this, what did they hear? They heard the good news. They heard the whole story. This guy preached from Genesis to Revelation almost in one little message. And they were pricked in their heart. I think they were pricked in their heart way before he got to the end of his message. I think some of them were pricked in their heart already. Because that's what God came to to save us from was sin and shame. The shame of what? Knowing that, that our life is not right. That in their day, knowing that they actually crucified it, dawned on them. Here they were waiting for the Messiah to come. And he was in their midst for 33 years and they missed it. Can you imagine missing it, right? Knowing that you've been walking around Walmart and President Trump was there and you missed seeing him? I'm trying to bring this kind of to to something we can all grasp and understand, right? You mean he was in Walmart and I missed it? I walked around that whole store. How did I miss him? That's how they felt. And they were, they were ashamed of it. Here we are. Imagine yourself being a Jew. Here we are Jews. We're supposed to be waiting for the Messiah. We're expecting the Messiah. He comes among us and we're just totally clueless. That it's him. And that's why they were pricked in their heart. And they said unto Peter, What men and brethren... He said to all the apostles, what shall we do? Now what do we do? If you want to put it in in the terms that we understand. We realize our mistake. We realize what's happened here. Now what do we do? (laughs) That's easy. Peter says unto them, repent. They've been hearing that for at least three and a half years of Jesus' ministry, and they heard it before John, when John was preaching it. So repent is not something new to these people. They understand it. Now they're hearing it again. It bears repeating again. Peter says, I'm going to tell you the same thing that Jesus has been telling you the whole time. Repent. And be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins, and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost, the promise of the Father that they'd heard about and studied about, and it was in the Scriptures. And so here we are bringing this thing kind of down to a close. Why the church must follow the pattern that was set from the very beginning today and why we are still following that pattern. I mean, I could just stop right here and have everybody in this room that's been baptized in Jesus' name and filled with the Holy Ghost testify to me why you think it's important that we need to be baptized in Jesus' name. Because it matters. Before I got baptized in Jesus' name in the East China Sea, I'd been baptized before. I'd been baptized as a baby. But it never changed. No, nothing ever happened, Sister Vicky. Nothing. It, never, no, it didn't seem to make any difference. But I'm going to tell you something. When I came up out of that water... It was about like when my wife gave me that 64 Impala. I was speechless. And they and what did they they came up to me and said, "So how do you feel?" I didn't know what to say. 
Honestly, I didn't know what to say. Imagine Brother DeMuth not having something to say, right? I didn't know what to say. I was speechless because it was so profound. What happened made such a difference. I could, I could feel it. I couldn't explain it, but I could definitely feel it. Anybody there? Anybody been there where I am, where I'm talking about? It's awesome. And, and until you've crossed that threshold and stepped on the other side, until you've come out of that water, you have no idea. So I'm, I'm putting a little carrot out there for you if you haven't been, okay? We, don't just, we just don't get all excited about getting wet, okay? That's what the people out on the East China Sea that were out there scuba diving and doing all the other stuff they were doing, when they were watching all of us people in our suits and dresses hollering and shouting and clapping when somebody came up out of that East China Sea water, they were going, what? They're all excited about just some dude getting wet out there? Because that's what they thought. Isn't that what you thought before you understood what this was? It's a big deal. You're just getting wet. Oh, it's, it's, it's a big deal. So we would be standing there next to somebody, and they would say, why are they? I'm glad you asked that. We want more people out there at that East China Sea that way. <laughs> There's a missionary called David Doan. Maybe I shouldn't say his name, but all because of that, some little lady that was out there doing stuff she shouldn't have been doing that day was curious too. And now it's his wife, and there are missionaries over there. So you just never know. You never know. So you just got to tell people. You just got to say it. Let the chips fall where they may. Yeah, there was 3,000 that were added to the church that day, right? How many thousands, thousands felt that same conviction? They felt that same thing that those 3,000 said, men and brethren, what shall we do? The only difference was what? They didn't ask the question. They didn't say, okay, I feel conviction. I got to do something about this. Some of them just said, eh, and they walked away. Does that happen today? Absolutely it does. It's, that's why Jesus said, it's to whomsoever will. Let him come. Luke chapter 12, verse 11 through 12 says, And when they bring you into the synagogues and under the magistrates and the powers, take ye no thought how or what you shall say, shall answer, and what you shall say. For the Holy Ghost shall teach you, or put it in your mind, in that same hour what you, should, you ought to say. Let's not be too concerned about being witnesses unto him. Because he said in Acts 1 and 8, You shall be witnesses unto me in Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria, and the uttermost parts of the earth. He wasn't just talking to the twelve. He was talking to everybody, to whomsoever will. Everybody, if I told everybody to raise your right hand and repeat after me, you'd all do it, right? And I would, I would, it's just like taking the oath of, uh, in the military, but I, this oath that you took when you got baptized in Jesus' name and filled with the Holy Ghost was that you would be a witness. You took an oath. You didn't know that, did you? You took an oath to be a witness. You said, I'm one of them now. Because we find that in the, in, toward the end of the book of Acts, they went from house to house, breaking bread and having fellowship with all the people. And the Lord added to the church daily such as should be saved. 
They didn't worry about if they knew all the scriptures. They didn't worry about if they didn't have a Bible. They didn't worry about any of that. They just knew that what they had was real, and that was all they needed was their testimony. And all they needed was to talk about Jesus. And and the word spread. And some listened, and some didn't. It doesn't come out and say that in there, but I believe that's true. If only 3,000 were added to the church, there was probably a lot that heard it from their neighbors and friends as they went out, and the Lord added to the church daily, such as should be, or in one translation says, such as were being saved. So even then, some listened, some didn't, but that didn't stop them from preaching the gospel. Like I heard one of the camp uh, DVDs, or listened to, watch one of the camp DVDs, the preacher was talking about a missionary in Nigeria, an actual pastor in nigeria church burned down three times he just kept building it back he wasn't going to stop telling the gospel because it's so profound of what this thing is and how it changes the lives of people he didn't let the fact that some witch doctor was burning his church down deter him from doing what he was called to do right we don't have anybody burning our church down what's stopping us Because he just said, don't worry about what you're going to say. Don't worry about being a Bible scholar. It'll come to you what to say. In that moment and in that hour, when you're standing in front of that hungry person and you don't have the pastor or anybody else to turn to, God, trust God. Trust the Holy Ghost that he put in you for that reason. He's your schoolmaster. God, God won't leave you standing there hanging. He won't. And all Peter was doing that day on the day of Pentecost was preaching and saying what the Holy Ghost was telling him to say as he went. He had no idea what was about to come out of his mouth. I'm just, that's just me. I just believe that. But it was enough. Because the convicting power of what God was telling him to say was so profound that it affected the lives of 3,000 people to the point where they made a decision. Wouldn't that be awesome? We don't even have room for 3,000 people in here. (laughs) Wouldn't that be awesome, though? That God would use you to preach a message? It don't have to be 3,000. It could just be one. Just that one you're trying to reach. Because it's, it's the love of God that's shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Ghost that leads us to those people. That takes us beyond ourself, beyond our our limitations are self-imposed limitations and say i i gotta step outside of myself and say something because that might be the only chance you get to say something because god's only got you in that place for a season with that individual and then he's going to move you on somewhere else so you got to take the opportunity to say something you might just be the one planting you know we drove around sparta yesterday praying i did, did it look like anything happened? Not really. Does that mean nothing happened? No. Because the effort that was made by a handful of people to pray over a city, God takes that serious. And the effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much. And there's hungry people in that city. And all it takes is somebody to go take the time out to pray for that city. To begin to stir up somebody to go to that city. 
And eventually that connection is going to be made. And they're going to find that truth that they've been searching for in their heart and never telling anybody. In the book of Acts chapter 8, verse 8 through 16, talking about this guy named Simon the sorcerer, there was a great joy in the city because of the Holy Ghost, right? But there was a certain man called Simon, which before time in the same city used sorcery and bewitched the people of Samaria, giving out that he himself was some great one. And they believed that he was. To whom they all gave heed for from the least and the greatest, saying, This man is the great power of God. See, there's people out there that don't understand the difference between the power of God and other power. So it behooves us to be there to say, no, 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 that's not the power of God. This is. See right here. And to him they gave regard because at a long time he had bewitched them with sorceries. But when they believed Philip's preaching and the things concerning the kingdom of God in the name of Jesus Christ, they were baptized both men and women. So whatever Peter came in and preached trumped whatever this guy was saying. Right? Then Simon himself believed also. It was a powerful enough message. Once again, God is speaking through the, the man of God. It was powerful enough that it affected this sorcerer. And when he was baptized, so he was baptized in Jesus' name, right? He continued with Philip and wondered, beholding the miracles and signs which were done. Wow, he thought he had some cool stuff going on as a sorcerer, but this, this, this was way above his pay grade. So when the apostles which were at Jerusalem heard that Samaria had received the word of God, they sent unto them Peter and John, who when they come down prayed for them that they might receive the Holy Ghost. For as yet he was fallen upon none of them, only they that were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. And they laid their hands on them and they received the Holy Ghost. Go ahead with the next verse. And when Simon saw that through the laying on of the apostles' hands the Holy Ghost was given, he offered them money. Why? He, saying, give me also this power that on whomsoever I lay hands that he may receive the Holy Ghost. Next verse. But Peter said unto him, thy money perish with thee because thou hast thought that the gift of God may be purchased with money. Verse 21. Thou hast neither part nor lot in this matter, for thy heart is not right in thy sight of God. Go ahead and next verse. Repent, therefore, of this thy wickedness, and pray God, if perhaps the thought of thine heart may be forgiven thee. For I perceive that thou art in the gall of bitterness and in the bond of iniquity. What does that mean right there? See, he was a sorcerer. And he was doing his sorceries, and he was impressing people with his power, just like some witch doctor in some foreign country, right, that was impressing the people and had them kind of tied to his little way of thinking because of his power, or supposed power to them. Well, here comes these apostles preaching this gospel, and they, they totally just blow him away, blow him out of the water. And he's like, wow, i got to have this. And then he misunderstood because he was a new convert. He misunderstood what they were, what they had, and how they were operating in it. And so he, 
in his ignorance, he offered them money. I want to be able to do that too. Can I give you some money? That's what he said. And they said, ah, no, 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 no. That, no, no, no. You, that, they basically said, that's not right. You need to go repent, and maybe God will help you and give you understanding. Right? Because he was a new convert, wasn't he? Because we just read he was baptized in Jesus' name, but maybe he wasn't filled with the Holy Ghost yet. And so they, they said, go and repent. And his answer to them was, not only do I know that i got to pray, but I need you guys to pray for me too, that none of those, those things are going to happen to me that you said. I don't want to be left out. In the New English Translation Bible notes, it says that in the gall of bitterness is an idiom, meaning that to be particularly envious or resentful of someone. In this case, Simon was jealous of the apostles' power to bestow the Holy Spirit by the laying on of hands, and he wanted that power for himself. And They didn't condemn him. They didn't run him off. They just said, hey, go repent. There's a right way to do this. If you'll seek the Lord, if you'll receive the Holy Ghost, God will be your schoolmaster. Right? What does is, what is, uh, Romans 12, 1 and 2 say? He says, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service, and be not conformed to this world. And this is really key right here. This is where Simon was. But be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Simon had been a sorcerer his whole adult life. He didn't know any different. Just because he was baptized in Jesus' name, that didn't mean that he suddenly dumped all that stuff. Because his, the renewing of his mind was in its infancy at that point. He was just a brand new babe in Christ. And he was trying to, trying to grasp a hold and understand it the best he could. That's why those disciples didn't judge him, and they didn't say, well, you're just not worthy. They just said, you need to repent. And that's how important this is. There's, we live in a society today that is so bombarded with the Internet and with, with all kinds of the information overload sometimes. The 24-hour news cycle, I mean, you, there's nothing that happens that you don't know about like that. And so the people are bombarded with stuff, and there's all kinds of mess out there on the Internet, on YouTube and places, that, and people are preaching their own doctrines, and people are preaching stuff. And if, if you're not careful and you start listening to that stuff, you'll get drawn into it. And so there's a lot of people that have a lot of mess in their mind. And it's, they're doing the best they can. They just don't understand it all. And when we come along and preach this gospel and they feel the presence of God in a Bible study and they go, wow, I don't know what this is, but I feel something. I feel something in the room here. And you say, well, let's, let's pray. And you pray and they begin, to, they begin to pray out loud. And they begin to, next thing you know, they, they, there's something coming out of their mouth that they've never said before. And they're going, wow, this is, I got to be baptized right now. I see it, I see it, I see it, right? They have that moment where they're not going to be Bible scholars the next, the next minute. It took me years to get 
it took God years, I guess, maybe if you want to say it that way, to get some of this stuff out of me. I, I'm, I'm sad to say it didn't, he didn't just take it all at once. I wished he would have, but he didn't. He took it in, in little baby steps out of my life. And as I began to see it, I'd lay it, lay it down, let it go. God said, lay it down. I'm laying it down. One by one, little by little, step by step, he brought me along. And he's still bringing me along today. I don't know it all. I'm not there yet. None of us are. So, like, like Jesus did when he was in his ministry, he met people where they were. Paul and the disciples had to meet Simon where he was. And they had to understand that Simon's background, all he ever knew was sorcery. All he ever knew was tricking people and using magic and, and all that kind of stuff. That's all he ever knew. And it was going to take a little bit of time to get that stuff out of his brain and to begin to feed his brain with other things that, that would begin to push that other stuff out. But this, this baptism that we have is important. It's, it was so important that God saw the prayers and the alms of a man named Cornelius. And he, took, and he had at the same time a guy named Peter who was very impetuous and, and very, very devout Jew and very so much so that he would not even think about talking to a, a Gentile or eating the wrong things. He was a good Jew, right? And so God had to deal with Peter because he was fixing to use Peter, so he had to get some things out of Peter's head. So Peter, the same guy that was preaching on the day of Pentecost, still had some wrong thinking in his head. So while Cornelius is doing all of his praying and all of his alms, and God, the Bible says it went up for a memorial before him. God noticed a Gentile that wasn't filled with the Holy Ghost or baptized in Jesus' name. God noticed that individual and said, I want that guy. He can do some things for my kingdom. And so he goes and tells Peter in a dream to do stuff he's, that the Jews aren't supposed to do. And Peter, being the good Jew, says, no, 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 I'm not going to touch that stuff. I'm not going to eat that stuff, God. And after the third time, God says, what, what I've called clean, don't you call profane. And then what does Peter do? He gets up and he says, oh, there's somebody knocking on the door. <laughs> Lo and behold, there's some guys knocking on the door that are Gentiles that Hey, this our boss said that God told him to come tell us to come get you and come tell us about Jesus. So God's knocking two birds out with one stone right there. He's dealing with Peter's attitude, working some stuff out of Peter, and meanwhile he's going to winning a whole bunch of people. Because even the guys that went with Peter, they were like, I gotta see this. The other Jews that went with him doesn't name their name, but there's some other guys that went with him. And when it was all said and done, they were like amazed that even on the Gentiles, wow, isn't God awesome? He can pour the Holy Ghost out on the Gentiles too. And God used a, a guy like Cornelius who wasn't just any Gentile. He was a military man. He was a, uh, he was a wealthy man. God, God took somebody with prominence and saved them. So this is to whomsoever will today. I'm running out of time already. It's a good thing I gave you those notes so you can read them on your own. 
I'm just trying to follow what the Lord wanted me to say. There's no other name. We'll get down to the end. No other name. It even says so. Let's go ahead and put that up on the screen. Acts 4, 1 through 13. Because sometimes when you read stuff and you say it out loud to yourself, it has a whole lot more effect than if you hear somebody else saying it. And as they spake unto the people, the priest, the captain of the temple, and the Sadducees came upon them. Here come the religious people again. You think after Jesus passed away and all that happened, those guys would get the message. They didn't. Being grieved that they taught the people and preached through Jesus the resurrection of the dead. Here's this Jesus guy again. Thought we got rid of him. And they laid hands on them and put them in hold unto the next day, for it was now eventide. Howbeit many of them which heard the word believed. Howbeit. Amazing, right? And the number of the men was about 5,000. Them, them religious guys are like, we got to do something about these guys. They're, they're, they're having a profound impact on our community. And it came to pass on the morrow that their rulers and elders and scribes and Anus, and the high priest, and Caiaphas, and John, and Alexander, and as many as were of the kindred of the high priest, were gathered together at Jerusalem. And when they had set them in the midst, they asked, By what power and by what name have you done this? <laughs> Anybody ever been there? If you haven't, you may be one day. How are you going to answer? Then Peter, filled with the Holy Ghost, key there, filled with the Holy Ghost, said unto them, Ye rulers of the people and elders of Israel, if we this day be examined of the good deed done to the impotent man, by what means he is made whole, be it known unto you all and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom ye crucified, here he is again, preaching the same message he preached on the day of Pentecost. He's doing it again. He's repeating himself. Whom God raised from the dead, even by him doth this man stand here before you hold. Didn't you guys hear me the last time I preached about Jesus? This is the stone which was set at naught of you builders, which has become the head of the corner. He's the cornerstone. He's the whole root and foundation of all this. Guys, didn't you read the Isaiah? Didn't you read all these scriptures? Don't you realize who this Jesus was? He's... He's in a roundabout way telling them that. Neither is there salvation in any other. Let's think about that one for a minute. Neither is there salvation in any other. For there is none other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. Not we might be saved. Not we can be saved. Not we should. We must. Must. This is a must. It's not an option. I mean, it is an option. You have a choice. But Peter's saying, and I'm saying, it's not an option. Either you're going to be in the boat or you're going to be outside the boat. <laughs> there's a heaven and there's a hell. You can, you can say that you don't believe in that, and that's fine. If you, don't, if you choose not to believe that, that's your business. But I'm telling you right now, there's a heaven and there's a hell. And this book bears it out. You make your choice based on what you believe or not believe, but it's your choice. Remember that. 
So there's no other name under heaven. And these followers, it goes on to say in that scripture that they were beaten and all those kind of things happened to them and they were persecuted and they were humbled and they were humiliated and none of us, none of that's never happened to any of us, has it? But it might. You're going to stand for the gospel when it does? And they counted themselves worthy to be, to have that happen to them for the sake of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Whatever you got to go through, whatever you got to deal with, whatever persecution, whatever ridicule, whatever opinions that people have of you, you got to deal with. None of that should matter. None of that should matter. They stood their guns. They stood, they stood by their guns. They stood by the gospel. Like that, that man in Nigeria that had his church burned down three times and just kept rebuilding it. You don't, he, kept, he was sending a message to that guy burning his church down. You don't understand. It's not about that building. I'll just build another building. <laughs> we just need a place to meet, but it's not about the building. It's about the gospel. It's about the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. That's why the tabernacle in the wilderness was built, so that we would have a picture and a pattern of what we need today so that we could look back and the Jews could look back and say, There's, we have no excuse, we have no reason. He gave us the pattern then, and he gave us the pattern today. That pattern's here for you today. All you got to do is choose. Choose you this day. What did that the 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 man of God say? Choose you this day who you're going to serve. As for me and my house, I'm making a decision. We're going to serve the Lord. Amen. Thank you, Father, for this study today. Thank you for your word. Thank you for your anointing. Thank you for your spirit and power being in this place, Father. I believe that Lord, that you've ministered to some people today, Lord, that you've given us your word. Lord, that your word would go forth and not return void unto you. In Jesus' name, everybody said amen. Let's take our break and come back and get ready for our pastor.